Here's your host, Alex Garrett. I do mean it, by the way, Alex Garrett Podcasting on the Sunday edition. Seems interesting. I always have my uh, guest, Zach Williams, on the weekend or on the Sunday pod. And uh, once again, he joins. Firstly, Zach of City and State, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, and I did mean it that I want us to go with God and, and do less of the gossip of the royal family. Listen to yesterday's podcast for more updates on that. But on my line right now, we are going to talk about something that I've been passionate about on this podcast the last couple of months now since I realized there were over 500,000 New Yorkers in the New York City alone without internet access. Zach Williams, first of all, I know you like to talk about broadband. How is it possible that in a city like this, people could still be disconnected from everyone around them? Well, I think, Alex, for the past year, we've talked a lot about the sort of world that might emerge from all the craziness of uh, the pandemic in particular. And broadband Internet's really one of those issues that has been brought to the forefront. Um, we've all dealt with crappy Internet connections for many years in certain circumstances, but this is a daily reality for you know, whether you're in a, a place, a low-income neighborhood like Brownsville or in rural areas upstate, um, some people really struggle to get a decent connection. And, you know, that really uh, holds them back. And at a time when you, you know, a lot of people still got to either work at home um, or otherwise, you know, lean on digital tools to stay in touch with people. So, you know, I cover state politics here in Albany. So there has been some movement, um, most notably, there, it looks like the state government, the Public Service Commission is going to move ahead with, with an effort to actually map where, where Internet access exactly is and isn't in the state. Because right now, depending on how you define it, it can look like we have really bad Internet access, which I think is the case in a lot of areas. Or, as the governor likes to say, 98% of New York is accessible. But what does that mean exactly? I'll just uh, you know give it to you pretty quick. You know, it's It's kind of a matter of if... If they can connect it to your block, that means they can connect it to you. But we all know there's like barriers between um, having, you know, broadband service that's close to you and actually having it in your house. Well, let's talk about that because you said the governor was basically like business as normal and really his first public signing of a bill yesterday in Albany. So tell us what went down in this bill signing, which does have to do with broadband. Well, as part of the budget, they passed an initiative that he had proposed earlier in the year that would require most, but not all, uh, ISPs, Internet Service Providers, to provide $15 per month broadband uh, service to qualifying low-income families. I think we could all say that that's uh, not a bad thing to get you know, uh, cheap Internet access to, to poor families, but it's not nearly as, as ubiquitous as... Um, he might make you think. Um, notably, smaller ISPs have like kind of a carve out in this law so that they would not be required to deliver the that um, fifteen dollar per month service, which could kind of limit its applicability in places in upstate or maybe even places in the city where they're kind of uh, these smaller ISPs might be the best um, internet service provider. So we'll see. There is more progress. Another provision in the budget would um, would. Increase um, accessibility for public school students, you know, especially those who might be stuck with remote learning for another semester or two, at least to some degree. So there's progress, but we're certainly not there yet. Um, I think we all know that <laughs> just talking to you on the 
podcast right now, I'm worried that my uh, cell coverage and my internet coverage alike might fall short. So, you know, we, we've come along we, we've come a long ways with internet access in the next last couple of years, but we got a long ways to go. Zach, that's why I want to have you on. I, I want an expert. It's fitting this you because you and I click on everything, and who knew broadband access was another thing we click on, right? So, so there's that. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about this because what's it mean? When the average listener who, as you say, may complain that their internet went out on them, uh, hears that that's a daily occurrence. Like, doesn't that impact a New Yorker if they actually take the time to figure this out? I feel like not many, many people know that there are many disconnected in the city. Well, I, I'm certainly no expert on, like, the technicalities of how broadband service works. You know, I'm not a line man or by any means, but... Uh, you, you know, it's just a reality. It's it's broadband internet is the electricity of the 21st century. You know, back in the early 20th century, there were many areas of America that didn't have access to electricity, to electric lights. Um, you know, we're seeing the same thing right here. You know, digital have and have not, the so-called digital divide between rich and poor, rural and urban in some respects. Um, and it really took back in the 20th century, government investment, government leadership, um, initiatives like the rural electrification projects um, that was part of the New Deal that, that helped overcome some of the, the barriers within uh, capitalism that had limited access to electricity. You know, back then, just like now, the utility companies, in that case, electric, uh, electrical companies back then and nowadays um, the ISPs, you know, just didn't want to, uh, it wasn't worth their time to provide internet to distant towns or villages or farms. Um, so that's where government stepped in. You know, they, they set up cooperatives that, you know, would have these far-flung households kind of band together. And once you have people band together, you get more scale and it's easier to do. And we're seeing a lot of that, those same type of efforts now at the state and federal level to really label broadband internet not just as a, a service and amenity to daily life, but an actual u- utility, part of our, the infrastructure we need to function as a society. I think we all know that, though. I mean, we all use internet, like, all during the day. <laughs> well, <laughs> before we the... barely work in a modern workforce otherwise. In the 30s and whatnot, who were the big leaders that were, you know, fighting for utility coverage for the rural areas? I mean, we're still dealing with that, too. We're dealing with how can we make sure the rural areas are broadband accessible and we're seeing movement toward that still not enough but back in the 30s when there wasn't a verizon uh or a spectrum or something like that who was leading the charge well you 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 know politics is the art of getting things done by consensus among many people (laughs) to some degree right back then you had a president franklin roosevelt he wanted to get big things done He's just one man, so he needs other people's ideas, right? And one of those people was a young congressman named Lyndon Johnson. He saw an advantage for himself uh, as a congressman representing a rural district in the hill country of Texas. And he really pushed and pushed and pushed um, to get through all these bureaucratic hurdles to make electrification happen for his constituents. It just so happened that it was the right thing to do. You know, <laughs> you know no longer housewives had to be stuck you know, uh, you know, burning wood to heat up their irons and washing clothes by hand and all that stuff. Um, but it was also politically smart. And all the people involved saw that. They could see that, you know, government needs to provide for people um, when, uh, you know, when, when the regular market cannot. 
and you know transfer that to today we have joe biden he's the president he wants to do big things you know build back better he says and broadband access is certainly part of this um, huge infrastructure bill that they're now debating in Washington, D.C. And then it kind of comes down to, you know, who are the local politicians that are talking about this sort of thing? You know, for, for what it's worth, the men- governor. I'm glad yeah, you mentioned that. The, the gov- because I, I want to ask, do you think because Governor Cuomo has such a bad rap the last few weeks, a few months and whatnot, and even being back to last year, is this a chance for this whole bill signing about broadband to get back in Biden's good graces? I feel like he's out of them, but maybe he feels doing this kind of thing now, right as the infrastructure really is heating up, is going to be like, hey, Joe, look at me. I'm doing something. What do you think? Well, the, the broadband initiative is, is part of the budget the governor proposed before all this sexual misconduct stuff and, and um, to some degree the nursing home scandal and, and many other things have blown up. You know, this was from early January. But I think you're, you are touching upon something important that any embattled politician, uh, especially a governor or a president, wants to project normalcy, um, that they're handling the people's business. We, If you're old enough, you might remember Bill Clinton doing that with the so-called Rose Garden strategy during the Monica Lewinsky uh, scandal in the mid-90s. And Cuomo's doing it now. You know, he, he wants to make it look like, you know, he's – He's running the state. He's getting things done. And that included passing the budget that he proposed. He just so happens that he you know, gave a lot of concessions to lawmakers, but that's a story for another day. But at the very least, they did agree on one thing, which was something has to be done about broadband. Um, so for what it's worth, you can say that the governor, the legislative leaders, Republicans, um, this is really an issue that unites um, a lot of the varying, usually warring political factions in state and local politics. The only thing is, though, that it gets much more complicated once you get down to the particulars of actually getting stuff done. Well, we'll see how that gets done. And I want to talk about particulars for a minute because you mentioned in your city and state e-blast about the Albany agenda um, that this bill seems to be somewhat... Ineffective, would you say? I mean, small providers serving fewer than 20,000 get exempted, and then the bigger companies are already doing this. So but where's the win here? Well, like like a lot of things, the devil's in the details and in the implementation. Um, you know, this $15 per month uh, Internet service could be a, a good thing. We just got to see, can um, can people actually enroll in it? Are the companies actually going to do it? And the small companies that are not required to do that, you know, where are they and who is losing out if they don't participate in it? So um, like any other government program, it might take a few months, maybe even a few years to judge success and failure. I think that it is for anyone that likes a good Internet connection. It's always hardening when when um, politicians are talking about the issue, when they seemingly are doing something about it. Um, So. My impression and the impression I hear from a lot of people I've talked to about this this um, this initiative from the governor is that, uh, yes, more people will get better Internet service, but it's not going to help everybody that needs it. And, and that's the goal. It's a matter of how many people get left behind. Do you think this commission, I see they're establishing the Public Service Commission, can do it? Can, can they figure out exactly what these maps that you were talking about earlier, can they truly identify or is that going to be – also, but what do you see with that? Well, I think they'll be doing that over the next year. Got to, I, I don't hold me to that um, specifically, but you know, that's a long term 
um, issue, you know, so you got the immediate needs. Um, you know, we saw this earlier in the pandemic, you know, when kids didn't even have a device to do remote learning on. So you got to get, you know, cell connected iPads out to tens of thousands of public school students, you know, and that actually happened not to everybody, but most, I think, excuse me. Um, so, you know, we, we, we got to remember that expanding broadband access is just one part of kind of a greater economic recovery, pandemic recovery that we would want to see, right? Um, you know, we need, you know, you can't, um, you can't just expand broadband internet and expect everything else is going to grow around it, right? Um, you know, for example, take, take um, um, uh, virtual learning online. You know, <laughs> one of the big knocks over the past year in New York City, at least, is that there was so much attention given to in-person learning mm -hmm. that nobody really stopped to think, how can we make virtual learning good? No, they, in fact, when, when <laughs> you know, it wasn't good, they actually blamed the deep end. When it wasn't good, they they blamed the parents. They said, no, it's your fault today. I'm like, how can you blame the parents in this pandemic on not getting the kid the technology? Why not take responsibility, Mayor De Blasio? That, that's what I was feeling back in the day when I read those stories. Well, and you got, you know, that I think that touches upon an even bigger um, point, which is, you know, what is infrastructure? What isn't? There's a growing consensus that broadband is. Some people say infrastructure, which we usually mean to be bridges and roads and stuff like that. Maybe broadband um, should include childcare. You know, should society view childcare as an indispensable nut and bolts of our daily life, you know, the, the, the movement of daily life? Uh, some people say it is. Some people say that's kind of just straying too far away from, you know, building physical stuff, which is normally what we think of when we think of infrastructure, you know, which are really the original projects for the common good, right? Everybody Absolutely. recognizes that roads are for everybody. Um, in many cases, you can use them for free, maybe not on uh, on some of the highways necessarily, but... Um, you know, should people are really expanding their minds on some of this stuff. Uh, you know, broadband internet maybe is something that we should just put out there just as a, a government-provided service. Well, it's interesting. A lot of... Uh, um, we'll, some, well, and it's interesting you mention that because I think the fact that some mobile companies are very affordable and not needing government assistance uh, may be a weird question, but why is it that a mobile company doesn't need the assistance of the government to get out there, but the broadband access does? Like, what is so unique about it that it does need federal assistance to push out compared to a phone phone company? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a younger industry, I think, has a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, broadband internet has really only been a thing for, what, uh, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Now? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're really, if, if, if you're to view this from a historical lens, which is how I normally look at a lot of this type of stuff, you know, it's like we're in the 1890s here. There's a, a lot of future ahead of us when it comes to the internet. Um, you know, people are talking about the 6G as something coming up. So I, you know, we're barely having 5G access for a cellular network and we're already talking about 6G and I don't even know what the heck that's going to mean. So and they've already been destroying um, I, 5G I think we got to keep a, yeah, so I think when we want to when we want to answer questions, um, you know, of, of uh, you know where where do we go from here? We just gotta you know keep in mind that you know this happens incrementally and then it happens suddenly. So 
Um, I, I think just all in all, it's encouraging that we're recognizing something that's so essential to getting things done, which is broadband internet. And maybe just maybe that is something good that can come out of this pandemic. And people are kind of looking to do the same thing with things like childcare as well. And a unifying factor here, which is, as you mentioned, a great thing. Hey, you know, there's this company called Link NYC, and there are others, but mainly Link, they provide free Wi-Fi for millions of New Yorkers. Um, are they in contact, like, how, how beneficial are they as well to the neighborhoods that don't get internet access? I feel like they play a role as well. Well, uh, you know, we all see the Link NYC kiosks, and anyone that's tried to connect to their internet knows that they're like, uh, kind of okay, but not great. You know, how are you, how are you, you know, and that's if you're like right next to them. Um, I'm just speaking from personal experience. I would say, you know, we should ask um, people, um, you know, people in neighborhoods that are underserved, them, you know, to speak for themselves on that. But I would just have to assume that it is, it's one of those things where, you know, just like going to a McDonald's, sure, you can get internet there, but people want to like, you know, work from home in home. <laughs> they well, want to do remote sure. learning at home in their home, not standing on the sidewalk with the link in my C kiosk. I just, my experience, they don't have a lot of distance to them though. I've noticed that too, or it's just like it's a weird sign-in process. But I still think it's good that they're there. But do you think well, like, and, uh, the and government? Actually, just speaking of how things um, kind of intersect, because I think the Link NYC kiosks have a reputation as kind of homeless hubs. You know, um, it's one of the few places where uh, a person who lives on the street can can charge their phone, or get internet access, or make a telephone call, um, and it's and. You know, it wasn't necessarily meant for that, but that's where, you know, they're people with needs too. So, you know, when we're talking about holistic change, you know, you need better broadband, you need better homeless services, um, mm. you know, all sorts of little social inequities get get unveiled once you take a deeper look at these things, right? 100,000%. Um, so it's promising the future of broadband, and obviously this isn't the only thing to come out of Albany, but I don't know. I, I don't remember hearing a broadband story coming out of Albany until you guys reported on it until this year. Am I missing something or is that about right? Well, broadband's been been something that lawmakers are certainly talking about. I, I think it's a real testament to the fact that most people aren't breathlessly following um, the state assembly and state senate day to day. You know, people like me, uh, or the lawmakers might be, you know, thinking that everyone's paying attention to this stuff, but then you get on Alex's podcast and you learn that people actually have, you know, other things going on in their life than the um, policy intrigues of the New York State Legislature. Um, but, you know, it, it has been something that's been going on, but there's been a lot of stuff going on in Albany. Um, that's kind of the magic of democracy and the state capitol is that you can have big battles of a bail reform and the governor and, you know, pandemic policy and police reform. And then, you know, there's all this stuff happening on broadband too. Right. And I'm sure for Cuomo, it's a welcome positive. I mean, you know, what's amazing to me is overall the, the cause for resignation died down. That whole thing have just, has just died down. I guess they're waiting for investigations, but you're in the room with the guy. What is Cuomo's energy like now uh, as we're heading you know, at the bill signing, he said that was like his big first thing uh, since last March. What's his energy like uh, being around him? Defensive. 
<laughs> you know, he hasn't he hasn't faced the reporter in person since December. Uh, initially, the the pretense was COVID nineteen, but you know, as people, including you know myself and other reporters and the governor, have gone vaccinated, you know, that ruse kind of wore thin. Um, he just doesn't want to give up control of a situation. You know, that's why he's doing all these closed press events where you can just have supporters there and no pesky journalists yelling out yeah. questions about, you know, sexual misconduct, alleged uh, sexual assault, the nursing homes, the $400 book, the Mario E. $400 million concerns, like that. Yeah. Uh, preferential COVID-19 tests for his family members. Um, and I know I'm forgetting something, but I got an article that has all the scandals kind of listed out. I think there's like seven or eight of them. Um, but anyways, yeah, you know, he, um, the, the governor, it's not the governor that he was a year ago where he was, you know, the happy warrior trying to be the adult standing up to Trump and basic sanity as COVID-19 swept over the country. Nowadays, he's the embattled governor at, uh, you know, who is increasingly is leaning on a very trusted small circle of advisors but at the same time, the only people paying attention are the reporters and the legislators and everybody else, you know, like um, when well, people see ago, Cuomo on TV, they just see him opening a vaccine site or signing broadband mm -hmm. bills. So it's, you know, it's it's a political war of attrition, I would say. You know what's interesting? You know, about a year ago, I, on the nursing home front, I, I think we should all believe that maybe he thought, as crazy as that policy was, that he was doing a good thing, and that's why he didn't think there would be repercussion? Or, you know, did he think anything of that bill or policy when he first did it? I feel like he kind of just said, well, let's see what happens, no? Well, he was, you know, re remember it was March, and things were pretty crazy, and the New York State Hospital Association, which is the, um, uh, the I'm sorry, the, the, greater, the, the Greater New York Hospital Association, which is a trade group representing uh, hospitals, the name implies, you know, said, hey, uh, we're running out of hospital space. We need uh, to use nursing homes. And it appears that they said, OK, let's do it. And then um, they kind of unlike it, he wasn't the only this wasn't the only state where they did that. In California, they adopted a very similar policy. The only difference was Governor Newsom out there, um, you know, rescinded the order much quicker than in New York, whereas in Cuomo kind of almost doubled down on it for a couple of weeks before it was eventually abandoned in, in May. Um, but I think the, the, the big takeaway is, is all these scandals, there's a common theme, which is kind of a, an alleged level of dishonesty that, you know, um, the Mario E. Cuomo bridge, they, you know, they, they won't release documents about whether or not there were some, um, you know, crappy bolts in some important parts. Uh, the nursing homes, you know, they wouldn't release how many people actually, you know, died in hospitals, but were nursing home residents. The sexual uh, misconduct slash assault slash harassment scandals, you know, they won't answer questions about what the governor did or didn't do with his own staff. So, you know, there's the common thread here, which is, is Cuomo a person that can be trusted? And time and time again, the governor throughout his three terms in office has shown that he is very concerned about his image and he will manipulate informa information to make him look in the best light. And it's not that he's the only politician that does that. It's just he's the most powerful politician in New York that does that. And, you know, that's very concerning when, uh, you know, so much is at stake now. So you're telling me we probably won't see a Verizon truck taking his broadband access from governor's mansion and putting it back into the community either, right? Like that's probably not going to happen or, or what? 
You know, I wonder how good his internet is there because, you know, he's one of those people that kind of pretends that he's not good at technology. But at the same time, if you were stuck in a kind of a creepy Victorian mansion, you know, with a bunch of old FDR stuff all around, wouldn't you want to make sure you could be on the internet to look at other stuff too? I mean, being around historic ghosts can only be so much fun. Absolutely true on that one. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll see if there's a Verizon truck out there. Uh, maybe actually putting in the access before anybody else. That's also a possibility. So, You never know. You never know with that guy. That but, governor of ours, what are we going to do with him? But, Zach, on a serious front, the government's doing it. But I also think if you and I reporting on the stuff, uh, what can the average person do, though? Like, how can they – are there any outlets to help people get broadband? Is there – an outreach program literally that, that the public can help out with this as well if they're interested? Well, I, you know, I, I think the best thing that people can always do is be informed, engaged. I'm sure there's all sorts of projects in anyone's local community that are being hashed out in boring forums like community board meetings or village councils or whatever it is. Um, you know, that's the only thing I can really say. I, my, I deal in information because uh, information is kind of the currency of power. So the more that people know, uh, the more they'll probably uh, be be better off. And then the more talk about this, I think the more access there will be in the city. That's just my hope, and that's why we cover this. Uh, Zach, as always, thanks for joining me, and please, if you got any more updates, let me know. I'll gladly bring you back on. Sounds great, man. You take care. Thank you. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting in man to hear more places and, and people being able to adapt. It does bring a smile to my face, to be honest with you, that we can see some adaptability in our own state, uh, finally, as it's been done. Anyway, I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.